Checking in with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy for another Tacky Talk on this Valentine's Day, Tacky. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, clearly, I did not get the hint on color choices. <laughs> I thought maybe flowers or candy or something, but no. <laughs> I've been real, I'm relatively drab compared to you today. But I wish everyone a wonderful uh, Valentine's Day and hope you're able to spend uh, time today with your loved one. Um, hopefully, you got time over the weekend despite the Super Bowl. Uh, to do so. Uh, I know not all families, that's not a bonding moment. Everybody's different about the feeling on sports. But um, again, it's, you know, one of those events that bring many people together, uh, families and friends to enjoy. Uh, actually, this year's game was quite incredible. Yeah, it was right down to the, the last minute uh, or so. So it was pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I'm uh, one of those folks that uh, if the, it isn't really happening by halftime and it's a blowout, I kind of lose interest really fast. And uh, now I'm just watching commercials there, there for end. But no, the reality is got YouTube. So if you miss a Super Bowl commercial, it doesn't like you can't go find it. Oh, yeah. And those companies will be playing those commercials all year because they paid a whole lot of money to have them produced. <laughs> yeah, those 30-second ads, uh, you know, millions and millions of dollars to get hundreds of men's eyes to watch it. Uh, but it's also like Sunday night. And uh, I think I'm not the only one. But you're right. Uh, in Quincy, particularly these trash days on Monday. You know, you got that whole cleanup thing you got to do. I got to find that moment. You're not going to watch the commercial. You got to watch the show. And I don't really want to take out my garbage that late at night, but I do have to pack <laughs> it up. So it's like, so like, you know, like everybody else, they try to get, you know, some other stuff done. It's, it's weird. As you get older, there's more stuff you need to do that you didn't have to worry about when you were much, much, much younger, where you weren't responsible for anything. Yes. The responsibilities change. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> But no, there was a great, great Kansas City uh, nail biter right, you know, right to the end, and uh, you know, full uh, football strategy was in play. Uh, relatively, actually, a relatively clean game, not a lot of penalties, and uh, you know, very, very high powered offenses uh, that uh, really just dominated the field and extremely aggressive. It was, it was a good game. It was very good. But the strategy in the last like minute or so was pretty fascinating. Don't give, don't give them a touchdown. Don't give him a touchdown. Just don't go in there. It's like everybody, the Eagles are like, come on, come on. You want the touchdown? No, no, we're not doing that. We're going to take three. Ground the ball here. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Yeah. Um, Of course, the biggest change uh, this year for the Super Bowl here in Massachusetts was uh, you you could bet on it legally this this time. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I expect the sports betting numbers to be phenomenal. Uh, I think the combination of the fact you can do it. I think the combinations of being a novelty because the first time you can do it. Uh, drives up a lot of these numbers. Will these numbers hold indefinitely? Probably not. I mean, sports betting, if you look at, you know, uh, nationally how it works, it's 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 very much an ebb and flow uh, industry. It's simple, right? I mean, you know, you go to bet on the big games, even casual bettors, just like betting on Powerball at a billion dollars. I can't believe we say a billion dollar Powerball is when people are interested. But, you know, once you get huge numbers uh, on a special event, people are more inclined to want to, you know, drop a couple of bucks on it. Uh, and the same phenomenon will happen with sports betting. People who are regular sports better who really follow sports, you know, similar to um, horse uh, racing, you know, people who like horse racing, you know, follow horse racing or wager on horse racing. The same thing with sports betting. And, uh, you know, next coming up is, of course, March Madness, mm-hmm. which is coming up really quick. It feels like I know it's only the 14th of February, but, you know, it's been flying so far in 2023 in terms of time. Uh, it'll be the next moment you have a lot of uh, major wagering, uh, especially if you get closer and closer to the end of March Madness. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't expect these kind of like consistent numbers from the Super Bowl. It's, it's going to be a continual ebb and flow. And, you know, when we get to the dog days of summer, 
and uh, you got baseball season coming in. We got like, you know, so many games you could bet on. <laughs> Plus you got golf and you got, um, do people bet on soccer. I have no idea, but uh, yeah, I don't know if they bet on soccer, uh, but you know, obviously there's a number of other sporting events in summertime, but they, again, the, the betting will be um, a little more steady, but it won't have these monster spikes. And uh, I always tell people that uh, sports betting is not a guaranteed win for the house. Um, the odds are set by the house, but there's no guarantee wins. And, uh, you know, they got to be able to average out their wins and losses because, um, you know, things don't go right in terms of a game. The house gets beat. Yeah, they yeah. can't do that too many times and stay in business, right? <laughs> yeah, and they get beat really badly. They just get beat. When 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 uh, they miss the odds, they get beat hard. So you're right. They can't miss too many times. Uh, but fortunately, uh, for gaming facilities, they have uh, other mm-hmm. revenue in terms of slot machines, uh, table games, entertainment, rentals, food, or in the case of playing virtual horse track and saddle casting. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to kind of buffer against any top losses. Uh, big, big companies like DraftKings are online now. I mean, they keep costs very low, uh, but they've also, you know, been, you know, track record of figuring out how to uh, manage their uh, money in a manner that uh, they can buffer against the losses. Yeah, I've already seen the uh, TV ads for a lot of the online uh, mobile sports betting apps. So they're anticipating, I think it starts in March here. Yeah, they go again right for March Madness. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. I mean, this this is a difficult uh, business strategy here. And, you know, they have a very specific audience, right? I mean, Massachusetts is a huge sports town on so many different levels, like many, many levels. And, you know, it, it uh, crosses gender. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. both men and women here uh, follow Boston sports. and uh, But not surprising, you know, the ads I've heard so far tend to be male-oriented. Right, yeah. Interestingly, first couple of days of uh, legal betting, and there was already problems with a couple of the casinos accepting uh, bets that they shouldn't have. That's surprising. Uh, every state has different rules and regulations regarding how it operates. Uh, I generally ex- hold uh, casinos in particular to a very high standard because there are multi-state regulatory entities. Uh, you know, corporate should know better how to do these things. Uh, hopefully this won't happen again. Mm, yeah, the good news was they were both um, self-reported. You know, they recognized the error and, and told the state, hey, we, we screwed up. So I guess that's good. Yeah. Uh, again, the better off fessing up to it and uh, trying to remedy, then I'd be caught later and face a suspension. Right. So here we are, Valentine's Day. Are we feeling the love on Beacon Hill uh, these days, Tacky? No, you have to ask the speaker what the love looks like. Uh, <laughs> obviously, we're still waiting. I'm still waiting um, for committee assignments. Uh, we have created temporary committees. Just to get some basic operations out of the way, temporary committee on ways and means, temporary committee on rules, temporary committee on transportation, because we have a number of bills that have come to the legislature from the governor, especially something with the budget, we find that bond bill. Obviously, rules debate has finished. Uh, the joint rules are not the same. Not surprising for the House and Senate. So there's a joint rules, uh, temporary uh, House Rules Committee to appoint a conference committee on rules. Um, and uh, there's always speculation, right? This is a business with a lot of speculation. I do not ask the speaker for a sneak peek. I mean, part of uh, the exercise for me and my staff is to actually understand how things work and, you know, do some uh, calculated guessing, I guess, on uh, what we think the assignments are based on my knowledge of the building and how things operate. So it's not about being right or wrong. It's actually a good intellectual exercise for myself as well as the staff regarding the internal operations and the various uh, dynamics that 
you know, personality driven, skill driven, seniority driven, education driven, professional driven. It's not always a simple cut and dry on how assignments are done. It can be multiple faceted factors. And of course, you know, understanding how to speak or operates uh, is one of those calculations. So, you know, the staff and I have a little spreadsheet going. We're going to fill it out. Oh, your own March Madness. <laughs> We're having a little March Madness to see uh, what our guesstimate of the future looks like. Um, <laughs> Your 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 legislative bracket, <laughs> more or less, yes. I mean, I could ask the speaker for a sneak peek, but uh, I, I think it's better uh, to uh, go through this exercise. Uh, I don't think the speaker fully appreciates this exercise as much as I do, but also it's alerting too for the staff about the, the internal functioning of the state house as well. So uh, it, it's it's multifaceted. There's, I think somebody may figure out. I do think it's important to teach people how to building works especially people that work for me. It's very important to teach them how to place works. Um, and these little exercises are helpful that way. Yeah, well, the speaker knows well. He was in your shoes for many, many, many years. So he knows he knows where it's coming from. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Well, now he's making appointments. I don't think he has the same fun in it. Oh, I think you're right about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's the same uh, level of fun between the two of us. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Hey, actually, it was nice to see you and the speaker and uh Ayers and Brian Lynch in studio here talking about the circuit breaker tax credit. Yeah, last year we congratulated Brian Lynch in his retirement and appears he didn't take it. Uh, uh, Brian Lynch is from Department of Revenue. He uh, goes around the state to inform people of the senior circuit, uh, senior circuit tax, uh, senior circuit breaker tax credit, which basically is just a tax credit uh, for uh, senior citizens, anyone age 65 above who meets certain guidelines on income and certain guidelines on uh, the property value, the assessed value of property or rent, and uh, are able to get a tax credit, which translates to cash, uh, on your state taxes. And it's Schedule CB, uh, the form, so you can kind of run through that worksheet to see if you qualify. Uh, and you know we strongly, strongly encourage uh, everybody who's age 65 and over to at least fill out the worksheet to see if they qualify, even if you pay no taxes. Mm-hmm. It's a Absolutely. tax credit. Yeah, yeah. Credit yeah. doesn't mean that you need to pay taxes. It's a tax credit, and the credit's uh, weighed against your property taxes, your rent, and uh, your water bill, water sewer bill. So, um, you know, strongly encourage. I believe it's over tw- uh, about 1,200 bucks uh, this cycle. And I want to remind folks again, if you're over 65 and you did not take advantage of this in prior years, uh, you have the three years worth of amended returns you could get. And that could be up to three grand, uh, depending on um, exactly how much you qualified for, but potentially about $3,000 plus, depending on the circumstances. Uh, It's well worth at least filling up the worksheet. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When, when my mom was alive, she took advantage of it uh, for several years, and it was a big, big help uh, to help her stay in her home and afford to live in her home. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure about your numbers, call the assessor's office. They can give you a tax bill numbers. They can give you water bill numbers. They're more than happy to help you provide that information, your assessment numbers. So if you're like, you know, two years from ago that you're trying to fill it out, I don't have my tax bill, I don't have my water bill, I don't know my assessed value is. Just call the assessor's office. They can look mm-hmm. you up and give those numbers right away and they can just fill out the worksheet. Um, again, there's no harm in filling out. It's only a page. It isn't that complicated, to be honest right. with you. Yeah, what's the actual, uh, there's a formula, right, Techie, that you have to qualify for? Yeah, I believe it's uh, income guidelines are, uh, I believe, $46,000 if you're single. I think it's eighty grand if you're a couple. I think head household is 
six. I try to remember it just off the my making me yeah. just off the top of my head. Um, I think the assessed value is about seven thousand seven hundred eighteen thousand this time. I think yeah. uh, you're able to get back um, uh, a portion of your property tax, and uh, I think I'm trying to remember. Uh, and then there's also like up to fifty percent of your water bill. Yeah, uh, you also get a, a portion back if you pay a rent, but you don't qualify if you pay subsidized rent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're in public housing or you get a Section 8 or you have other government assistance, you don't qualify. And also, if you're a parent uh, or if you're an um, individual, it can be claimed as a dependent by another individual, you don't qualify. So uh, not uncommon, uh, like in my situation, uh, you know, you end up, as I like to say, end up being, you end up paying for everything and your uh, parent um, doesn't have a high income. Uh, and if the person could become your dependent. So if you're taking care of your mom or dad or uh, some, or even a friend, a close friend uh, that you're taking care of financially, that individual always 65 that tries to apply for the circuit breaker won't qualify for the credit. So keep that in mind that, you know, if you're uh, over 65, uh, try to take this tax credit. Uh, if you are a dependent of another, if you can be, I'm sorry, if you are independent on someone else's taxes, you don't qualify. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's worth looking into. It just doesn't cost you anything to check into it and uh, could be a big benefit for sure. Speaking of um, taxes, the feds aren't going to tax our, uh, our state uh, rebates from last year. Yeah. We talked about this last time. It was extremely confusing. And uh, yeah. Friday they started issuing guidance. They're going to treat um, this rebate, uh, this cr- uh, refund credit rebate, whatever you want to call it now, as the same as if it was a normal tax situation. So those of us that took the standard deduction will not have to pay uh, federal taxes. Uh, however, uh, the, you know, the state, if you do get um, uh, itemized deduction, uh, your Schedule A deduction, uh, and you get a tax a rebate, you know, the state will issue you a 1099-G, I think. I think that's right, yeah. You know, and of course, that's taxable income. So you go to tr- the IRS will follow the state guidelines regarding uh, reporting of uh, refunds, so to speak. And uh, right. whatever happens there, happens there. And then you apply that uh, to your uh, federal taxes. Yeah. So at least we have a, at least we have a decision so we can move ahead. Yeah, I think it'll take a little while for the accountants to get a little up to date, but it should be fairly quick. And, you know, wait for you, you know, you're using software-based uh, taxes systems at home, you know, uh, give it a few minutes, it'll be updated or a few days and it'll update and then, you know, people should be just fine. And also tax days are kind of an odd day again, because uh, I believe the 17th of April is yep. Emancipation Day, uh, yep. which is Monday uh, in April. And I think that's also Patriots Day. That's right. It is. Yeah. It's also a marathon Monday. <laughs> yeah. So that means the state is a holiday. So you got a yeah. federal state, you got a DC holiday, uh, not a federal holiday, but a DC holiday. And you have a State holidays, so taxes due April 18th. Right, get an extra day. So mm-hmm. um, so what's going on in the district these days, Jackie? Um, well, it's been overall fairly quiet. Obviously, you know, we, you know, some events this past weekend. Um, you know, with uh, you know, chili uh, cook-off, chili fest out in Hell's Neck. I mean, you know, we had the mayor's mayor's uh state stage dress. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously had a special election last week. Um, but I mean, it's been, you know, pretty quiet overall. I mean, the Quincy Sun has, you know, has some good updates what's happening. And, you know, I'm aware that uh, the council's uh, started debate about the Corey Links, um, uh, Granite Links, sorry, Granite Links uh, 99 year lease home petition. Uh, they have to send to legislature if uh, 
if any government entity decides to do a long-term lease, a 99-year lease, it requires a legislative approval on if it's on uh, government land. So basically, if city tries to lease out a piece of city land uh, for 99 years, actually, I think it's, I don't remember exact law on this, but I mean, it's a lot, you got to be a substantial number of years. You know, it requires state approval. So yeah. I mean, I know that the council started debating that on Monday uh, as they're trying to sort out um, the terms and conditions. Uh, I took a quick peek at the homework petition. It doesn't have terms and conditions. It just basically gives the city, basically gives the mayor the ability to negotiate the lease on behalf of everybody, and that's it. There's no terms and conditions in the homework petition. So uh, obviously, the council can amend the homework petition uh, if they so choose. Uh, hopefully, they'll engage in rigorous debate on this homework petition. Uh, the state delegation does not participate in this negotiation, just to let you all know, even though we get the legislation. So whatever the deal the city comes up with is what the delegation is going to go with, because right. it's not, uh, we are not the municipality. So it's the council and the mayor to make those decisions and how they want to uh, finalize that agreement. And this is a 99-year agreement. What you got now is what you're going to be stuck with. Right. Yeah. And yeah, by the time it gets to the state level, it's either yay or nay. Yeah, I don't anticipate any problems. It should go through very quickly once we receive it. Uh, but, you know, anybody you know listening here uh, know that, you know, you can call me about it, but I'm not going to do anything about it because I really can't do anything about it because I'm not a negotiating party here. Right. So we have strong feelings about the Grand Links golf course, which the O'Connells, you know, have put a lot of money into it. I mean, you know, it's a beautiful location. It is a revenue generator for the city is it is a form of economic development if you think about it um a little more it is uh it's the, but, uh, the hannons right the hannons yeah um uh, well yeah walter hannon the fourth is running it i think that's right yeah right. i can't remember yeah i know I, I can't remember which um which number is referring to the name but uh but yeah you've got a concern so definitely contact the mayor's office definitely mm -hmm. contact your city counselor uh, even though it's in west quincy Nothing prohibits you from contacting your ward counselor or your counselors at large to express your opinion. And you know, what would you like to see in this homebrew petition? And you know, ask your counselors, you know, will they amend it? Uh, and like I say, it's a 99-year deal. I mean, mm -hmm. and there's a profit-making industry. It's not like golf courses are going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th this is a very um, high stakes in terms of you know what it means to the taxpayers of the city. Uh, you know, on a company that's very successful and they should be successful. We want to be successful. But, you know, obviously the taxpayer should receive some benefit on something that uh, they're making money on uh, government property. Yeah. Speaking of um, the, the Quincy Sun, I read the story about um, the proposed legislation to make teacher strikes legal. Yeah. John Keenan likes to write stuff uh, and uh, express an opinion. There's a, uh, this is a, Interesting controversy is going to become like Beacon Hill regarding public employees' ability to strike and whether or not um, public employees should no longer be uh, considered essential employees for the purpose of striking. Now, you all have seen teacher strikes in the past, but they're actually scheduled teacher strikes, meaning they uh, work with the administration on uh, when they're going to walk off and how they're going to make up class time. Oh. Uh, if uh, certain groups can't really strike, uh, on work hours, police and fire, the two that come to mind right away. Okay. They do strike, it's on their own time, not on duty, and they can pick it, they can do what they want to do, but not on their own time. Gotcha. Uh, unions sometimes, not, all unions are different. Some unions will uh, compensate people on strike if they go on strike on work time uh, from their own treasury. Mm. 
which I think you saw, um, what's, where was it? Um, was it Woburn? Was that yes. that? Yep. So I believe they, the teachers were being compensated. I mean, I don't think they were getting full compensation. Right. But I think they're getting a little bit of money, you know, for the time they're on strike. It also drains the treasury. So, and, you know, a lot of questions here because, uh, you know, teachers are not fired police, but, you know, not having school on a regular schedule, uh, as we've seen during Zo Snowzilla hmm. here and, uh, and also during COVID years, has an actually huge impact on the education uh, and the learning process for children. Uh, and also, you still got to meet the state guidelines and meeting a minimum number of days, which means yeah. the school year. Uh, and, uh, you know, it you know, also disrupts the course curriculum. Um, and, uh, you know, you're not going to get substitute teachers unless you and I decide to go in, you know, do a study or study class or something. Um, right. Just to tame the masses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an intriguing issue because, uh, you know, public employees in general are not uh, allowed to strike, especially those considered essential employees. Like, you know, what if, you know, the entire MWRA walks off the job, mm. right? And, you know, you still got to monitor you know, the water and the sewage and everything else, right? That's, so, yeah, a public health issue at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you you know, Massport goes on strike. You just yeah. shut down the whole airport, right? So, uh, you know, while teachers may not or may consider themselves that important, I don't know, you have to ask a teacher. I mean, I'm sure every teacher has a different opinion. Um, but there is a huge impact on our children, uh, you know, whenever there's, there's disruption in school. Yeah, and it impacts their families, obviously, if they can't get uh, daycare, uh, you know, if they have to go to work. So it's uh, it's it's considerable for sure. Yeah, and uh, those kind of situations obviously can turn public opinion very quickly against you. Mm. While people uh, do support uh, folks to get, you know, living wage, uh, or, you know, make more money. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Everyone wants to make more money. Uh, you know, it doesn't take much for the public to sour on you uh, if you're having a, a negative impact on their lives, particularly if it's over a long period of time. Right. Yeah. Just live through it. I mean, it's called COVID. I mean, <laughs> yep. people were just upset all the time. And, uh, you know, government was in the receiving end of the upset because government was making those decisions. Right. Um, speaking of making more money, have you heard there's an effort now to increase the minimum wage in the state to $20 an hour? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, this happened the last time, too. The last time we raised the minimum wage to the, to, the, to the target number on the scale in the multiple years, just like we did now, we did last time. And big surprise, as soon as we hit the, 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 the target number, uh, you know, advocacy groups again return. Uh, to uh, justify their existence, because if they don't advocate for something, then there's no point to them, uh, to uh, increase minimum wage to $20. Uh, and the argument, of course, is quote-unquote living wage. Uh, minimum wage, if you want a living wage, try like $50 an hour. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest about this. That's not fool people here. Uh, Especially in this part of the country, right? Yeah. Absolutely inside the 128 belt. Absolutely. When, when you all think about the, uh, the cost of housing, the cost of food, uh, cost of transport, even if you ride the MBTA, um, you know, it is uh, substantial. Uh, if you want to try to live as a single individual by yourself, much less have a family. Um, and I think in the city of Boston, it's, I think it's well past 90 grand now uh, for an individual, a single individual to try to live singly alone with, uh, without creating like a savings account for retirement and things like that. Yeah. 
and certain things, you know, a cost that we never thought we have to pick up. For example, streaming services, you know, people need to cut back on the streaming services because, you know, they can't make ends meet, right? People have cut the cord, but it doesn't mean they're not paying for entertainment, right? So I know it's a changing world, how we live. I know how the costs have changed, um, but I mean, it's not a surprise. It happened last time. It happened the time before. And if we may change the wage again to a future number, it's going to happen again. These advocacy groups will show up right away. Yeah. And right now, I mean, people are exceeding minimum wage. Many businesses have to because, again, it's a labor-friendly market, a combination of the probably 40-ish percent of the folks that died of COVID were uh, working-age folks, plus you know, percentage of them were senior citizens who also died of COVID that were also engaged in the workforce, plus people who uh, decided that uh, retirement was a good idea because they were smart enough to get out of the stock market uh, <laughs> at the right time in 2021, 20, early 22, because they cashed out and decided it was time to go and property prices were high and uh, you know people want to enjoy their lives. And then you got people uh, right now changing jobs, looking for the highest bidder, which is their prerogative too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a $20 minimum wage is probably not quite reflective of the current economy. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see this year what the Fed does with interest rates. Um, inflation's starting to slow. It's not stopped. It's not reversed. Um, but I don't know if that's enough, um, you know, to tamper, tamper things down. Well, CPI numbers came out this morning and uh, they did not meet estimates. They're all slightly higher. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like a huge number. I mean, 0.1%, you know, like, you know, 0.4 versus 0.3, right? Uh, but I mean, the core indexes are... are Point two or three higher than expected. And these core indexes will be adjusted next month because these are always lagging indicators. So the number you see today will be adjusted. For example, December's CPI numbers were adjusted up by 0.1% on, mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on the core parts because um, you know, they got final numbers in, in uh, February for the, for the numbers in December. So, but uh, you know, the, the Fed target is still 2% inflation. Most of us who have, uh, lived the last decade uh, in particular have enjoyed uh, under 2% inflation. Uh, Also wage didn't grow at the same time. Wage and inflation tends to go together, not always, but you know, there's a reason why we weren't making uh, the same amount of money uh, that you're seeing now uh, because wages is part of inflation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Businesses have to pay people more. Those costs are passed to you. Right. Top of everything else that's going on around us. It's kind of this vicious cycle. So it is. Yeah. So the, you know, the feds, uh, I'm going to tell you, are going to keep interest rates going uh, if uh, there's no clear indication of an even faster decline. And the problem is that the interest rate increases won't impact people really truly until the end of this year because, you know, yeah, it impacted home purchase right away, it impacted uh, car purchases. But also remember supply, pro- supply chain problems with car purchases because you can't get a car still in some instances of the models you want. Uh, Elon Musk has already dropped Tesla prices as you mm-hmm. uh, because he needs money to pay for Twitter. Uh, but also, you know, price competitions coming hard and fast from the big three, you know, Ford, GM, you know, all, uh, you know, right now pushing hard their electric vehicle output as well as China has encouraged domestic market development on uh, electric cars. And China is the biggest customer for Elon Musk. Um, people don't realize it's not the U.S., it is, it is China, and he's facing huge price competition over there. So, uh, but again, that also creates other types of stress demand on the supply chain, uh, especially on new vehicles. Uh, and, you know, and then also, you know, home building right now, you know, a lot of development is finishing up 
you know, it's my understanding by 2025, a lot of the current projects under construction in Boston will probably slow down after that as they kind of plan the next stage of development. Mm. Uh, interest rates going up means it's harder for uh, developers to borrow. Uh, it's be more expensive and those costs are going to transfer and uh, translate along. So, you know, some industries may be um, holding off on borrowing, hoping rates go down uh, for future development. So there's those factors. Well, and I also heard from more than one person now about, you know, city of Boston is the big economic driver and how uh, Mayor Wu has pretty much put the brakes on uh, development, meaning there's going to be very little new construction and, uh, you know, uh, right now, she's halted um, a very substantial number of projects moving forward. Uh, you know, as a result, but that's a huge economic problem uh, in the yeah. region because you know it's just not a construction job, but it's also all the ancillary businesses that impact construction. You know, steel, uh, concrete, food services, and the list goes on. Right? I mean, uh, portable. Uh, bathrooms. I mean, it's it's a long list of impacts on a large construction job if it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna hamper the Healy's administration. I know they put housing right at the very top of their priority list, so it's gonna be interesting to see uh, what they do about that. Uh, absolutely, and the Healy administration you know, can only do so much. Right. Um. So, but still, I mean, they they. Uh, you know, still it's, it's private development, right? So you got a combination of rising interest rates and you have a, a, a mayor who was trying to, you know, reevaluate development by slowing development down. And the administration, you know, can't really do much. And in fact, you can try to infuse more bond money to public projects, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that would help cost, right? Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, putting, putting what, you know, people on the street to work. Yeah. So I know unemployment rates, you know, under, 3.5% lowest employment rate since World War II, after World War II, right? The, the decade of uh, economic boom in this country. Yeah. Um, but still, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But I, I don't think you're going to see the few, full impacts of all these decisions to probably end this year, beginning of next. Hmm. Want to talk uh, national news for a little bit? Um, we blasted four things out of the sky since last you and I talked last, last week, Tech, including one over Canada. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we are discussing last time about one balloon that was quite enormous. Uh, you know, it was, you know, several bus sizes and, you know, and, uh, but these are sniffing smaller ones closer to the size of small cars. Uh, and they were quite descended They're right inside the flying uh, lanes. So, I mean, air traffic has, you know, height to go to and then, you know, specific flight paths and these things are floating into flight paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think the hazardous nature of it warranted um, immediate action versus, um, you know, taking your time and trying to find a good spot to do recovery. Um, and they did do recovery. I mean, you know, they did put a lot of stuff. There was a lot of concern about whether there would be trapping explosives and things like that on them. And you know, thank, uh, thankfully to the U.S. military, the Coast Guard, you know, and our um, intelligence agencies and groups like the FBI and CIA, you know, they're able to recover that. And, you know, what they can tell us publicly about it, I don't know, but... Mm. You know, I suspect um, the powers that be down there will figure out the proper messaging regarding what's there. It's not necessarily a message to, to the American people, but also a message to the Chinese government about what we know and don't know, just to clue them in just enough. And I'm sure there's also back to our channel conversations between, you know, the National Security um, Chief, as well as the Defense uh, Secretary and Secretary of State with their counterparts, you know, overseas, not just in China, but also, you know, throughout the European allies and 
North American allies that we have. And the Chinese government's accused the U.S. of floating a balloon, you know, off the coast uh, between uh, Japan and China, China in the ocean there, and they shot it down. And um, it was a one analyst said, why would we use balloons? We're the United States. We have satellites already, yeah. <laughs> we got a ton of satellites and yeah. like high-flying planes and we got like surveillance equipment that's just insane. And Not to mention they use naval presence already in that area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of military analysts are like, why would we use balloons? We're the U.S. Right, that's World War II stuff. technology, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we have better stuff. <laughs> so um, obviously the propaganda machine is big uh, in the Chinese government. I find their foreign ministry, uh, foreign affairs ministry kind of confusing at times to listen to uh, how they message this wolf diplomacy. Uh, wolf diplomacy is basically constantly playing offense diplomacy. Mm-hmm. You constantly just attack, attack, attack the other side. We had thought we're changing foreign ministers over there that uh, they would um, temper down that, but it appears that is still not the case. Um and we'll see what's recovered. I mean, obviously, I said before, if it hits land and it's not designed to hit land, you know, you're going to have a different result versus something hitting the water. And uh, stuff that hits the Bering Straits, you know, don't have a good chance of living, uh, you know, up in Alaska. But, right. uh, you know, I, like I said, I have food faith in the United States and also the Canadian partners in Canada um, to do proper recovery. But, yeah, this is kind of nuts. Um, and some reason my... God tells me you'll be finding more coming. Well, as one, I think one analyst said there, now they're looking for more. You know, they've uh, increased their surveillance capacity to look at lower altitudes and smaller objects. Yeah. And uh, once again, once they're once these balloons go into air, it, it, you know, there's only so much control you have over them. It's mm-hmm. not like they have a propulsion system. They, have, they must have a steering mechanism of some kind. But it isn't like they have like an engine in them that can push them specifically where you want to go. And I don't know what's going on. In them. I mean, the smart person would tell you they have GPS capacity. They would have, uh, you know, uh, encrypted transmission ability of whatever the heck they're doing. They should have a power source. Solar panels make the most sense. Like you saw the, the, giant, uh, the giant one that he shot down um, a week ago plus. Um, but, you know, obviously he needs electricity someplace. Uh, that's assumes the smart thing to do but who really knows right i mean the government tells us what they want to tell us although they've confirmed it is not extra it's not extraterrestrial <laughs> the mothership is not coming just yet no. <laughs> yeah gotta love reporters asking questions and uh, uh neither want to confirm nor deny answers because it's like really you can, i know say this question you've seen what it looks like it it's a balloon <laughs> <laughs> really can't hold a being. <laughs> I swear, I, I don't understand how come certain people in the media just feel to ask just dumb. This is dumb. Sometimes their editors are telling them to ask these questions because it's going to get a great headline or, you know, boost ratings for a certain show or something. Ugh, I get it, but still dumb. I mean, you know, it's like tabloid news type of questions. Yeah. Know? Particularly since, like, it's been eyewitnessed by, like, normal people on the ground using telescopes and high-powered, uh, their own high-powered uh, surveillance devices. I mean, right. uh, civilian, uh, civilian observation is, is you know, pretty good. I mean, it's not military-grade, but, you know, you could buy stuff yourself <laughs> to see the, you know, International Space Station on a good night. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
you know, so I'm sure many uh, eyes in the sky are now of uh, people who are you know, observers of the of uh, the stars and satellites and all that. Um, you know, probably looking up themselves to try to see if can spot objects because it piques the curiosity. And why not? I mean, people saw a Starlink uh, satellite street by. Oh yeah. Uh, people weren't sure what they were looking at, and you know, uh, not surprising. The meteorologists all confirmed uh, it was a Starlink, and the weather's clear enough. You may see it come by again. Yeah, speaking of you know private citizens, that's Elon Musk's SpaceX company doing that. So yeah, yeah, he wants to put twelve thousand of these into the sky. Mm. That's a lot of satellites. Mm. Yeah. So the goal, I guess, improve internet access in rural areas, according to the company, anyway. Yeah, there's this uh, type of um, radio slash infrared type. I'm not exactly sure how this technology works, because right? I'm aware there's been infrared style, um, low wave, uh, wide wavelength um, internet that is not nearly as high quality as wired internet at home or 5G at home. But you know, Elon's uh, folks have figured out how to do this at a much more high speed and more efficient rate. Uh, because you want a uh, wider length bandwidth to hit hit the target, satellite target on the ground to provide internet. It's about how much bandwidth you got to get the speed across. Mm -hmm. So I don't claim to understand this technology, but you know the ability to uh, provide um, some level of um, broadband, uh, even if it's not 5G or, or uh, you know high speed fiber optic quality, you know. It, it, you know, it's still sufficient. I and mean, I think people mm -hmm. wait exactly how much speed you need. You don't need to be, you know, you know, streaming, uh, you know, Game of Thrones or White Lotus right away, <laughs> right? Um, uh, in some places, you just need to get, you know, information back and forth. So, right, you need to be able to email somebody, perhaps, or something. Yeah, yeah, it is exactly it, and it's a it's a world changing technology, not just uh, in places that can't get wired internet, but also remote regions for people mm -hmm. doing scientific work, for example. I think of Antarctica in particular, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have a, a crew of scientists out there that really is in isolation. Um, and things like Starlink, if it works out properly, you know, can not just transmit information back and forth, but sufficient bandwidth could also provide, you know, uh, some form of video and also communication to uh, people um, in this world we're living like right now, right? I mean, yeah. better quality video and things like that. So. You know, it is a very exciting technology, and it is, you know, it is definitely the way of the future. Oh, no question. Yeah, it's only going to get more prolific as, as years go on. Mm -hmm. um, let's bring it back home for a little bit and talk about green energy in Massachusetts, Jackie. Is it, is it expanding? Is it diminishing? Is it on track to meet the goals of the state, do you think? Well, there's a lot of factors involved. I mean, the big mm -hmm. two factors is, is the... Uh, Hydro-Quebec line coming down through Maine. I think that's reaching a resolution soon uh, regarding that line being built. And of course, the windmills of the uh, coast of Block Island, um, you know, the, the you know, issuance of more contracts are out. And I know there's some issues still regarding inflationary prices on materials that's impacting the, the price structure of the you know, windmills being built, which I you know believe can be resolved. Um, but yeah, it's coming. The problem is they got to build it. I mean, it's... There's unrealistic expectation by the public sometimes that, you know, we move forward with energy policy, you turn on the switch, you know, next month and suddenly you got, you know, windmill power. It's, you yeah. still got these things in the ground. And, you know, there is a, a carbon footprint associated with it, but it's going to be offset by the uh, future generation. That's the math, I guess. I kind of like scratch my head about some of this math because 
I, I, I just find offsets kind of a weird math, but that's a discussion for a different day. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, the continuation of you know, credit, uh, the tax credits to you know, get more um, electric vehicles on the road. Uh, one of the problems, of course, is that you can't use anything but Chinese part in electric vehicle. So you saw that today Ford uh, is going to put batteries in the United States for their Ford electric cars moving forward. So in the process of building a factory. Uh, to do that with a Chinese partner, but it's technically not a Chinese part because you know Ford will own everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I mean, the Biden administration had to readjust their EV guidelines to try to expand uh, the number of vehicles that people could take advantage of tax credits to buy electric vehicles. Yeah, it's. I just wonder sometimes if we're doing um, cart before the horse because the the infrastructure, electrical infrastructure, cannot support you know the the volume of, of electric vehicles that officials are hoping to meet oh no it won't i just mm-hmm. going to tell you i mean the electrical infrastructure is 60 years out of date i mean uh it really is not just on the big transmission lines but also the wire in front of your house on mm-hmm. your house and even the wires inside your house so uh you know there's all this talk about massive electrification but if you do massive electrification it increase the load and it actually you know creates heat on the wires people forget that electricity going the wires creates heat that's kind of how the law of physics works and um you know everybody that draws off the system you know changes the the load on the system which then changes the amount of power somewhat the end the system can get uh and then it creates instability in the system so you have to generate enough power to uh allow for so-called electrification and uh, you know this includes these electric buses um mm-hmm. school buses and and mbt buses that are going to be coming online probably in the next two years i mean put a lot of grant money into that stuff yep um so, you know, there's going to be a need for uh, ratepayers. Your electric bill at some point is going to have to have, um, quite frankly, an increase uh, when the utility companies uh, actually come forward to the DPU with an infrastructure plan. And uh, it will be decades infrastructure plan. It won't be like one year. So whatever they come up with uh, will probably be in multiple parts asking for rate increases to cover the capital costs associated with it because they have to bond it out. It's a combination of bond repair money and shareholder money that's going to pay for it. And, uh, you know, some ratio that makes sense, um, most efficient economically. And then, you know, the electric uh, distribution rate is going to have to go up, mm-hmm. at least temporarily to pay for the costs and the, and the bonds. So, um, yeah, you got to pay for this somehow, folks. It's it's not like it's it's, it's going to happen, but it's going to have to happen regardless anyway. Because even vote um, increase electrical usage, the system is old, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, folks, it's strained even in a you know a, in today's standards. If we have a heat wave or or a cold snap, um, <laughs> it's, it's already danger of it of it overloading. Correct. And uh, the federal government needs to step forward regarding transmission system. I mean, the feds have to make a decision at some point whether they're going to subsidize a utility companies to operate transmission systems and just basically have federal tax dollars help pick up some of that cost to do a massive infrastructure improvement. And also you saw the security issue, right? They, they caught their uh, neo-Nazi group. I'm sorry, caught a neo-Nazi group, um, I think in Maryland. Possibly, yeah. I, want to say, I wanted to say North Carolina, but that, that, that yeah, maybe it's North Carolina. Um, I can't remember the exact details right this minute because we're doing like recall right away. But, uh, but I mean, you know, they went after the you know the local distribution system, and uh, you know, there's going to be more of these domestic terror 
opportunities for these folks to try to hit soft targets um, and cause whatever thing they're trying to cause, right? So, you know, that also impacts, you know, people's electric bills. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would tell you that uh, at some point, um, doesn't matter who's the president, who's in Congress, the transmission system security, plus the need and needs a massive upgrade um, is essential. We're going to do more onshoring. We're going to need a national system upgrade too, as we want to bring manufacturing, uh, especially high-tech manufacturing back to the U.S. Um, if everyone wants, wants an electric stove, heat pump, electric car, you know, electric water heater, electric everything at home, um, your distribution rate, it's going to have to pay for those infrastructure costs at some point. And uh, not surprising, uh, you know, this, uh, any time you do these types of big uh, projects, uh, the biggest beneficiary is actually wealthier communities. Oh, really? How's that? Um, they can afford it. Oh, well, good point. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the first sections, uh, even of all these subsidies, got to benefit the most, but generally wealthier communities. And then uh, more working class communities uh, will subsidize wealthier communities regarding uh, any type of um, infrastructure improvements because they received immediate benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about municipal um, power plant, power companies, you know, uh, Braintree Electric, for instance? Well, no, almost no municipal light plant in the state actually generates power anymore. They they gave up their generation a long time ago. It's oh, it's just a dist- distribution company. They're basically a distribution company. It, it, running a power plant is very expensive. Mm. A lot of maintenance costs, a lot of manpower, a lot of capital improvements, even with de- de- depreciation tax benefits. And municipalities do not get depreciation tax benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it actually makes more sense to have in private hands in terms of you know trying to keep a plant alive fifty to one hundred years, mm-hmm. whether it be you know solar or nuclear or coal. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you, the goal is to keep the plant uh, uh, long running as possible, and uh, it's tied to their uh, debt. Mm-hmm. Right, you can't. The thing can't. You can't get rid of it before the debt's paid off. Right. right. So, municipal play pants essentially type of municipal aggregation. They engage in long-term contracts. Municipal like plants have experts who uh, do this for a living, in terms of energy price structures, and they put out to bid in the market. Also, municipal plants are exempted from many state laws regarding things like surcharges and, and renewable. Uh, renewable power requirements, as well as uh, energy efficiency, which is why municipal plant distribution rates are significantly lower because of the fact they don't have to follow state law on things that you have to pay for in Quincy. They also have no shareholder component, meaning mm-hmm. that uh, there's no, they actually do some of the costs as well. Um, but, uh, you know, they also pay into the pension program at the government level. They're treated you know, like government employees. So there's always that factor that kind of addresses it you know they're responsible for the wires the poles and the wires in that town um they can do sharing with a private utility depending on circumstances of, of ownership or and so forth and uh if there's a major storm just like all utilities they would have uh, contractual agreements with a neighboring uh utility uh, to provide emergency assistance and they have a whole reimbursement program for manpower and and, and uh, equipment and supplies so uh people realize after a big storm event is over you know the, the telecommunication the municipal light plants and all the utilities you know start tallying the bills up of who went where what how uh and you know, they start the massive reimbursements to each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because as you're aware, there's talking here in Quincy of creating a municipal broadband network uh, funded by an enterprise fund. But would that would that fall under state purview? Um, well, the DDC 
DTC, you know, has oversight a lot of consumer issues as well as the franchise agreements between the cable companies and um, the cities and towns. But uh, you know, the I'm trying to. It's actually complicated. We're trying to mm-hmm. keep it. Try to keep this simple so we don't have to sit here for an hour listening to babble. Um, you know, to do uh, municipal broadband, you need to do some basics. One uh, is the most obvious customer base. If you have a guaranteed customer base. You know, whether you do cash, but most likely it's going to be bonded, you know, you, you're going to secure the bonds against the customer base rates. Secondly, um, you need to get to access to people's homes, which means you got to get onto the on the, on the poles, at least going to put all your own poles up. Um, and as well as the underground access and easements. And that means, you know, a lease agreement with uh, the utility that owns it because other entities do uh, own, uh, do use their poles and lease like like Comcast, we'll get to the simplest one, right? Comcast lease um, the pole space uh, as part of being able to get to your house because right. why would you do it for free, right? Right. Yeah. Utility's not going to give it for free. I mean, certain public safety things like, you know, the fireboxes, whatnot are special exceptions, but, you know, this is a profit-making venture, right? And then, you know, it's also, uh, you're not just competitive, but you have to have a minimum number of customers guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And the key word is guaranteed. Meaning that, you know, I come on, but I don't like you. I'm going to switch back. Right. You know? And even if I pay an exit fee, you know, I'm sick of whatever service I'm getting. Well, that's one less customer, which means that impacts your ability to operate the business, but also impacts the ability to pay off your debt. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the manpower issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, besides the labor market, this is a short supply. So unless you're going to start like stealing people from, uh, from Comcast, Verizon, and others, you're probably going to rely on contractors, and contracts are going to go to the highest bidder. Yeah. And then you need, uh, unless the city wants to run the the core uh, switchboard themselves, so to speak, the, the master system, um, they're going to have to hire a third party to do that as well, which then adds to the cost. Expensive venture, sounds like. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're talking, you know, probably. $250 million, perhaps, just to get the basics going, uh, bef- you know, on, on, on just capital components, maybe mm-hmm. even higher. Um, you do want to buy the latest, greatest, shiniest thing, meaning fiber optic. Um, fiber optics are expensive right now, supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who knows how long the negotiation regarding the polls are. Uh, regarding lease agreements, I'm not, I have no clue with, with, with that conversation, how far they got and when, how many years worth of a lease they can get. Yeah. And also, what if it doesn't follow through? What if the, uh, you know, after a few years in, you know, this project turns out to be not profit making and there's a property taxpayer end up showing that cost, right? You know, that becomes a real question. Um, it's a business, not mm-hmm. a chair. And because mm-hmm. uh, you got to figure it out. And the, state, the, the city wouldn't get any uh, tax benefits in terms of the, you know, depreciation or other types of tax benefits associated with capital projects, unless they spin off a quasi-public quasi corporation that's really a private entity, a for-profit entity owned by the city explicitly for the purposes of being able to shout the burden onto that, that entity. But then again, you have different risk level because that entity would not have any um, securitization behind it. There's no shareholders. There's no um, there's no property. There's, there's nothing that uh, a bank would want to say, okay, I got, I'll owe you $100 million, right? Right. Um, it's not like a municipal light plant, which is already a hundred-year-old established entity. They have all the assets. They have the ratepayer money from the electrical bills uh, to uh, back a municipal, uh, a, a telecom project. 
Uh, but Braintree sold theirs to Comcast. It became mm -hmm. economically non-viable and it was going to have a negative impact on electric bills. Right. If they continue the path. And, you know, wisely they did the math and realized that we have a mature uh, telecom company uh, infrastructure that's modern and uh, Comcast and an aging infrastructure and uh, made perfect sense for Comcast to, to buy the newer infrastructure uh, from uh brain tree and make a tidy profit in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, if the city engages own municipal system, um, you know, doesn't hit a certain customer base where you know, Comcast a future may purchase like 20, 10, 20 years down the road. Uh, you know, these are a lot of intriguing questions. And in case you're all wondering, you know, uh, energy and telecommunication industries are industries I spend a lot of time working on public policy on yes. in the legislature and the attorney general's office. So uh, I do have some basic concepts on how this work, and I do spend a lot of talking to, to uh, cable TV and wireless and wired uh, communication systems, and uh, you know a whole lot of technology folks as part of my chair. I was a technic for Pete's sakes. That was actually a lot of fun. Uh, it's a bit of a nerd, I know, but it was a lot of fun <laughs> about everything from wireless cars to you know the dangers of ride sharing in terms of uh, public safety, as well as you know how do we keep kids safe on the internet and all the different barriers associated with it. So, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, like I said, these are questions not for me. These are questions for the missile government. Can it be done? Sure. Um, well, but, you know, you got to calculate the risk levels and you have certain limitations and benefits, you know, as a municipality versus being a private entity. And, uh, you know, the state and federal government's put a lot of money into broadband. And we know that even dense urban areas like Boston uh, does not have uh, internet service to all sector city at equal levels. And that's also part of uh, socioeconomic equity. Everybody should get internet uh, for equal quality for equal price. We are at the end of our time today, Techie. Unfortunately, we could go on about this topic, I'm sure, for quite a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a couple of rural broadband and the, the economics of that where um, you know, private companies would have difficulty because, again, if you don't get enough customers in your zone compared to the infrastructure put in, especially in a small community. <sighs> yeah, I mean, a town of like 300. Yeah, they won't invest in that, right? It's just not going to be, the numbers won't work. You know? The numbers won't work. And they got, if they're going to do that, they got to figure something out that makes sense. Hence, you know, subsidies, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of subsidy by federal and state to encourage private entities to go into those communities. Yeah. Put in perspective, hundreds of hundreds of million dollars are going to be spent um, over many years in Massachusetts by both state and feds to try to figure out how to, to get to rural communities. So, you know, it's, it's not cheap and, you know, who knows what's going to happen next. So, but as you say, we're at the end of the hour on Valentine's Day. We're not going to keep you up from your chocolate strawberries. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> uh, how do we uh, call and wish you a happy Valentine's Day? <laughs> oh, give us a call at the office at 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. Please uh, give us a ring, smash a button if you're not sure what to do. If you get the automated system and you know one of us will get back to you. Uh, obviously, you can email me at tacky.chan, mahouse.gov, T-A-C-K-E-Y.C-H-A-N, mahouse.gov. Uh, my email is actually fairly stable right now, <laughs> much to my shock. I'm, the, the, it's coming in waves. It's, so it's kind of like I'm in a low part of the wave today. Uh, as of this morning, yesterday was high tide. Today's like a low tide for whatever reason. <laughs> um, obviously, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. You, know, you can see my coming and goings if you want to there. 
uh, as well as tackycheck.org and melegislature.gov, which is a state website. And of course, you know, spending time with Joe here on QE TV would be on on uh, cable access or uh, YouTube or your podcast. Absolutely. We have many different ways to reach people. Appreciate it, Tacky. Always fun. Um, hugs and kisses to you and yours. Thank you much. And the same to you.